0: Hey, Lorianne. The other day I was taking a look at the Ministry of Education's 2019-2020 to annual report. The findings in this report suggest that education in Saskatchewan is failing Indigenous students and we need to improve. Indigenous students continue to perform lower than non-Indigenous students in reading, writing, and math. Data from June 2019 shows 70% of grade three students are reading at or above grade level, yet only 55.5% of First Nations, Métis, or Inuit students are at or above grade level. Overall, the data shows that Indigenous students are performing lower in reading in grades one through eight. Did it mention anything about graduation rates, Brittany? Yeah, graduation rates are also show a huge discrepancy between non-Indigenous and Indigenous students. According to the data, 86.8% of non-Indigenous students graduated within three years, compared to 43.4% of Indigenous students. Again, we need to address this discrepancy. Another interesting fact was when looking at attendance from 2018 to 2019, the percentage of all kindergarten to grade 12 students with 80% or higher attendance is 65.9% for indigenous students compared to 90.2 for non-indigenous students.
1: Well, this report clearly shows that education in Saskatchewan needs to reform in order to improve education for indigenous students. It's no longer a choice for educators, this is imperative. In this episode, we will explore the Ministry of Education following their Voices Initiative. We will be interviewing Following their voices, facilitator, Tricia Listian and lead teacher, Kim Elmer, to learn more about how this education initiative can improve Indigenous student outcomes. We hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Welcome to episode three of our, fo- our podcast. Today we're talking about following their voices, following their voices, an initiative that was launched in 2015 and is designed to raise the educational achievement and participation of Saskatchewan's First Nations, Métis, and Inuit students. We are joined at the teacher table with two local educators who are involved in this initiative, Trisha and Kim. Hi, Trisha and Kim. Thanks for joining us and sharing this podcast, sharing your knowledge and experience with us about the Following Their Voices initiative. So Let's begin by learning a little bit about you and your journey as an educator and what has led you to Following Their Voices. Tricia, can we begin with you?
2: Sure. Hello, everybody. I I have been involved in FTV for probably seven years now, and I have been in just about every role that you can be in in this initiative. So I started out as a lead teacher and then I became a facilitator. And now I am a part-time facilitator and part-time provincial facilitator for the ministry. I started, when I started FTV, it was actually life changing because it affected every part of my world. It affected not only my classroom environment and not only my teaching strategies but it also changed me as a mom and as a wife and as a friend so it is extremely a comprehensive changing and it, and it's a beautiful beautiful initiative I would
3: agree with what Trisha said my um when we first had fallen in the races at our school I um I'm always, I was a person that liked to play it safe. And so I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do it the first year. Like they were asking for people to join. And I thought, you know what, I'll wait for my second year. And at least I'll know what it's about. But little did I know my principal asked me to become a facilitator. And um, I'm a people pleaser. And I said yes. And, And honestly, that was the change of everything. Like my teaching philosophy and the way that I you know, interact with kids and the way that I plan, the way that I interact with my colleagues. Um, like everything changed that day. So I'm very grateful that she asked me to do it. But like, if she wouldn't have, I would have waited for year two, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I became a facilitator.
1: So Trisha, can you explain to us what exactly is FTV? What is this in- initiative? You mentioned lead teachers and facilitators. So how is this implemented and can you speak to its importance to our Indigenous students?
2: Well, following their voices is is not just a fly-by-night thing. It has been years and years of research uh, through Russell Bishop's work in New Zealand and the research that they have done has shown that Indigenous children are grossly underserved in the education environment. And through that, his work, they have created a framework that focuses on pedagogy. And it is through that pedagogy and that focus on Indigenous children in the classroom and their needs and being culturally responsive and most importantly, creating really authentic, strong relationships with your children and families and community Just absolutely enhances the success for Indigenous kids in schools. And so it's, it's not a student focused, it's a teacher focused initiative. And what it does is it really allows teachers to look at how they teach. And it's not saying that teachers are not good, they are. They are wonderful, they are the rock stars of this world. However, they are not supported. And to be able to have time for uh, professional development within your work, embedded in your work, and to be able to allow time to learn strategies, to be able to have time to be collegial with your peers, to talk about teaching and taking, like Kim mentioned, taking those risks and in a supportive environment is so important. So that would be kind of the meat and bones of that initiative. And as you start with that, there is a process. So we talked about these terms, lead teacher, facilitator. So the lead teacher is usually a keener teacher that you trust that are they that they just really are willing to take those risks. And, you know, Kim, you mentioned like a people pleaser and sometimes keeners are that way, right? Because we do, we want a better, right? And especially when a mentor and someone who we really trust and admire, asks us those things, it's it's an honor actually to be asked. And so it starts with a lead teacher and that lead teacher is really fundamental when you start FTV. Because initially after years of being in FTV school, all teachers are lead teachers. But you start with that lead teacher that will work with the facilitator that will be able to kind of experiment a little bit with discursive strategies in the classroom and really be open and honest about the experience of taking those risks and, you know, things that you might be a little bit wary of of trying, you have that support of your facilitator. And then what the facilitator does is the facilitator actually uses a tool that following their voices has created to actually go in and observe your peers. And it is not evaluative in what, in any way, shape, or form. It is for a peer to come in and evaluate your practice and compare them to the indicators of the following their voices initiatives. And those indicators include creating a very secure and safe environment. Another indicator is all about relationships. One is about culturally responsive pedagogy. And there's essentially six of them. So when a facilitator goes into a teacher's classroom, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for those interactions and 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 how the teacher is talking and the tone and and where the teacher is situated in the classroom. And then, after, uh, included in the observation is also some student voice. So when before you start the observation, you pick five indigenous kids that are in the classroom, and so you watch the teacher for. a a section of time and then you watch the students for a section of time and you do that five times within an observation and then when you're completed that you do a really quick exit slip with with the students and you ask them two questions and it's on a scale from one to four and the first question is how much new learning have you done in this class in this in this time frame and the second one is how much work have you completed and so all that data is compiled into a teacher report that afterwards you have a post-observation meeting and you talk about what you saw in the classroom. And it's a way and it's that tool is meant to open up a beautiful conversation between the facilitator and the teacher to start really diving deep into their, into their teaching. And, and, it, and it gets really philosophical and, and it's actually a very honorable thing to be able to watch a peer teach. Because you are in their wheelhouse and it's actually spiritual <laughs> because you have, you're have you seeing a being in their zone, in the place that they have chosen, in the place that they love. And to be able to watch them do what they do best is such a blessing. Plus, as a teacher and you're watching your peers, you can steal all their good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <why not? laughs> but that's what Win-win. it's supposed to be it's supposed to build that spread right and to be able yeah. to honor each other and learn from each other and work together to do great things in your building
1: okay thanks trish for explaining to us the this initiative um kim what's your role in following their voices and in your experience with this initiative can you just share for us i'm early teacher now which like
3: kind of mentioned I'm kind of a guinea pig although we're in year what four now Mm -hmm. I would say all all those first year teachers that started at the beginning are really lead teachers so I feel like the value that I bring to the team is just another perspective when they meet as a group just another you know way of thinking about things and how to attack things with staff so I think that's kind of where I play a role this year But before that, um, as a facilitator in the school, um, a large portion of your day is spent working with your colleagues, setting goals and supporting them through shadow coaching, Um, whatever that is. And at the beginning, people didn't really want support at all. You know what I mean? Like they just wanted to do their own thing and they didn't need help. And so it was just weaseling your way in with one or two teachers and then when people saw, oh, my gosh, this can work, you know, you would do a couple more would ask you. And even if it was like, hey, you're going to do a card store and I'm going to cut some, you know, cut some cards out for you, you know, at least people would take us up and use us to try some new things in the classroom. And, you know, as a school-based facilitator, there's nothing like <laughs> more, you know, you don't even get a proud mama moment when you see a teacher try something new. And you know what, even if it doesn't work, how they wanted it to, like taking that risk and seeing somebody be vulnerable in front of their kids, it's like, yeah, it's mind blowing because teaching adults is so much harder than teaching kids, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes teachers are the worst students. So, yeah, that's kind of what my role was before, just working with colleagues to, you know, reflect on what they do and creating next steps to become even better.
0: Did you find it was difficult to get them to buy into the process? Um, That's a tough question. Um, The first
3: year, most of the people wanted to be there. And so what helped is once they saw that they could get something out of it, um, it helped, right? So like we have these weekly huddles. At the beginning, they were kind of just going through the motions of, Like we'd meet for 15 minutes and we'd pose them a question or, you know, ask them about something they tried in the classroom and they would just kind of go around the circle and say their piece just as such service to be there. But after, you know, they get comfortable with each other and they would share and, um, oh, you use this strategy in your room and you use it this way and I could use it this way. Once they saw the value in their own teaching, then the buy-in happened a little bit more. However, if you don't see that it's going to be useful and you don't allow yourself to see it, it's hard to make anybody buy it. I don't know. What was your experience, Trish?
2: Yeah. And I think the the biggest thing is, so when you are starting any kind of reform in your building or in your systems is that you have to remember to lay the groundwork for it. And I've, and I've, uh, I'm involved in 15 schools in this province with FTV and everyone has a very unique story, and a common theme is is schools that really struggle with, like you say, the buy-in with the staff. It has a lot to do with how it the foundation was laid for FTV, and so I'm doing some work with, you know, sustainability and interviewing um, some stakeholders, and you know that's just a common thing that's that said that that it has to be done and not in a tokenistic manner. So laying the groundwork means to really be looking at teachers' um, worldview and their understanding of anti-racist and anti-oppressive practices and where they sit in that. And I've I've, uh, come across this quote and I absolutely love it. And it kind of hit me upside the head with the two by four. And it says, it is one thing to be not a racist, but it's totally another thing to be anti-racist. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and having those practices. And so not just doing that groundwork with like doing the blanket exercise, which a lot of schools like to do. And that is a very powerful exercise, but if there isn't any, you know, education before that or after, then it's a tokenistic thing. And, And it's a very powerful practice, that blanket exercise from chorus, but it can anger people. Like you just don't, you really have to be careful because you're dealing with something very, very touchy. And like we have so much racism in our systems and we need to address it. And so like that is the biggest thing in my opinion to sustain and to make FTV, you know, really work is to be able to have those relationships and have those conversations before you start this initiative. Because the biggest thing is, is FTV is so important because 42% of Indigenous kids in this province aren't graduating and 98% of non-Indigenous kids are. So there's something not working. And so, you know, so we have to have those conversations and we have to know, you know, it's not that, you know there's a lot of non-Indigenous teachers, that's a reality. And the thing is, is no, they're not supposed to be teaching culture. If it's not your culture, you don't teach it. But teachers must, they have the utmost responsibility to know the histories of the students that they're teaching. So that is, you know, very important. So when I feel that if you have that idea and you bring the staff with you on this journey to starting up FTB, I think you wouldn't have a lot of those problems because teachers come with a lot of baggage too. They're human beings. And, you know, we don't know everybody's experiences with, you know, different administrations or different, you know, schools they've been at. We don't know their story either. So using that narrative and talking about this and really having a common why before you even begin the work is so important instead of just, this is what we're doing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So Following Their Voices was designed to raise the educational achievement and participation of Indigenous students in Saskatchewan. So I'm just kind of throwing this out to both of you. What are some positive outcomes that you've witnessed because of this initiative? Is it, is it making a difference? Is it raising the achievement of our Indigenous students?
2: Uh, yes, it definitely is. Like the data is there that, you know, it's was at Westmore and, you know, we went from you know, graduating 13 kids to 60 kids, you know, within Mm -hmm. four or five years, right? So, you know, the data is there. However, there is two kind of data sources and there's the three-year plan, you know, from grade 10 to 12. And then there's also a different data source from kids that need that five years to graduate. So it depends on which one you look at. So Mm -hmm. currently the model I mean, they wanted, you know, grad rates too. I think it was increasing. And, you know, don't quote me on all the numbers I'm throwing out here because I'm old, but <laughs> I'm confused. But, you know, I want to say something. It's like 60, you know, they wanted to get like, you know, uh, yeah, I can't, I won't even say it, but they wanted it quite high. And if you look at the data, that might even take another 20 years to get where the, mm-hmm. the industry wanted or the province wanted to get. So we have to kind of look at, you know, it, is it that three years or that five years? You know, what what is helping? But it definitely, I know it works. I, I As a classroom teacher, I know it works. It's because, so you, is, oh, sorry about that. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, so is the primary focus for measuring the success graduation rates or do they, or other things looked at
2: as well? There's a lot of data to look at. Primarily, you would use your student first data and of course your, your grad attainment data of the school's. And you have, and it's, and it's, you disaggregate the data. You make sure that, you know, you're looking at non-Indigenous as well as Indigenous. Uh, you can look at, uh, you know, grade nines to twelves. You can, you know, there's so many different pieces of data. If a, a FTV school is in a, in an elementary school, you know, their data isn't going to be grad rates. It's going to be uh, literacy and numeracy rates, Mm-hmm. and looking at those kind of things. And there's multiple data sources. So you're getting data when you are actually, you know, doing the, it's called the learning cycle, the critical learning cycle. And there's five of them within, the, within FTV and you're getting a lot of data in there. So you're, you know, first of all, you're doing a observation, you're getting data from there. The teachers are making goals. The, the teachers are making co-construction goals with their peers. There's data in there. Um, there is also uh you know so there's surveys there's a student survey there's a teacher survey there is a parent survey so you get data from there and perspectives from there and also what's really exciting is um like you know we really want teachers to be taking data within their own class so it could be you know just you know uh data that did they understand my lesson and it can be as easy as a simple exit slip so, and then, you know, just keeping those records in your own classroom and and knowing relationships. And so, yeah, the data is very clear that this works and, you know, and, and so it goes in with, you know, John Hattie's work and, you know, so that relationship based and student centered is just where it's at and getting to know your kids and using that cultural responsive pedagogy is so important. So the stu- that your students, your indigenous kids are seeing themselves in your lessons, that their culture matters, that they're just not there for the heck of it, you know, mm-hmm. that their presence matters, their culture contributes to our learning and to our society. And it's very important for kids to see themselves.
0: Oh, mm-hmm.
3: well, let's take it one more step. Even beyond data, at the end of our second year, one of our school-based facilitators took it upon herself to interview, I want to say at least 15 um, First Nations or Métis kids in our school and just asked them if they had seen a change in Carleton over the last two years because data is great, right? Like that is why we have following their voices. If the data wasn't there, do you think the government would be spending money on this program? Likely not, right? So, but for like our staff, yeah, the data is great, but we want to get this. And so we interviewed these kids about what they saw as changes at Carleton. And I want to say at least 80% of the kids talked about how their teachers took the time to get to know them. They felt like they belonged. The teachers took time to like explain things differently, you know, um, gave them different ways to show their work. They felt valued you know, and so that we show the video at the end of the year. And I think sometimes that's what we need to hear, right? We need to know that we're making a difference even beyond the data. Like talk to the kids. And um, yeah, it was pretty heartwarming actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, vo- the voices of the kids, the voices of the students, hey. Mm-hmm. And I think really sometimes how do you measure um relationship? How do you measure um, The value somebody feels. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for sure. Thanks, Kim, for sharing that.
0: Kind of going along with that, as an educator, what has been your biggest takeaway from FTV and how has it changed your teaching practices? Kim or Trish, whoever wants to go first. Mm -hmm. Biggest
3: takeaway the power of group. I don't want to say the word grouper because it has such a negative connotation. Power of collaboration, I think that's my biggest takeaway. I was, before FTV, I was on my own, I did my own thing and I really didn't ask anybody for help. And now I have a team of people that if I wanna bounce ideas around, I have that, you know. And even beyond that, I've changed how kids interact in the classroom. Kids interact with each other, you know what I mean? More than they did before. They're not sitting in rows doing their own little pen and paperwork, right? I'm building strategies to get them to talk to each other. So, and honestly, my biggest takeaway has been the power of collaboration, really.
0: Yeah, coming back to relationships again,
1: right? Relationships with kids, relationships with each other, with other teachers. Just that power of connection, connecting with one another.
3: Mm-hmm. I think as
1: teachers, we we tend to be on our own little islands, and we don't reach out. And I think when we can see the power of collaborating with each other, and the power of having our students collaborate together, connections again—it's that relationship. Hey, so important, so important. How about yeah, you, yeah. Trish? What, what's been your big takeaway, or what's oh. how's it changed your teaching practices or your life? Really, you
2: know. You know, the, it is the power of relationships and it's not just the relationships with others, but I think the biggest part with me, it's your relationship with yourself and that's where it starts. And to also see that we are like, you know, we all, you know, we have all these catch phrases and everything, but. You know, we're all just leading each other home. And it's that power of human connection, like you said, Lori. And, you know, that comes without our elders' voices because our elders started following their voices. It was through our elders. It was, that's where our indicators come from, is from the elders, is what they want the youth to have for a beautiful future. And so my takeaway from it is that it is absolutely such a honor to be able to serve, you know, the, our First Nation and Métis and Inuit kids and their families. And, you know, being able to just open up to all these different ways to teach and and not be afraid to say, I need help. Not to be, and, you know, no no fear to be vulnerable when you're hurting and talking to a colleague. And you know, it is just the most beautiful thing. So we've been having this week, we've been having huddles, which is a part of the critical learning cycle. And you know, because of COVID, we have a, a blended way of doing our huddles. We do them through online. And then we just started opening it up. We have a nice big beautiful FTV room with some comfy couches. And so we've been going face to face, you know, five people. And we've been laughing because we we talk about, you know, our goals for that week. But also we've been laughing this weekend because it's become a therapy session, teachers have been saying. <laughs> and that's so awesome because we and we laugh so hard at the end. Like, of course, we do our business. You know, we're, we're, we're meeting our goals. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're doing the work we're doing. But we end up laughing and laughing until we're crying sometimes. <laughs> and it's like every day there's a teacher that leaves. I needed this so much. And so it's like, you know, guys, get off your islands. Let's be in this together. And mm-hmm. it isn't easy. Teaching is not easy. And it's, you know, so my big takeaway too, there's just so much, like, it's just, it's just not just one thing. It's everything. It's, it's about, you know, being a human being and also being a teacher, because I think those two things were always separated. And I don't know where we got that narrative from, but we always had to feel that we had to know everything and do everything perfect and, you know, follow the rules or else we're going to get into trouble. Well, we're adults and we're professionals, <laughs> you know, and 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 always stay in that little tiny box and don't ruffle any feathers and don't, you know, and so you look at, historically, what those little boxes have done to education and to teachers and to most importantly, our kids. And so, you know, to be able to break out of that barrier together with your colleagues and have that support is just absolutely life-changing. Like teaching is the bomb. And yes, it is, <laughs> stress. It is yes, and especially through this COVID and all these yeah. things being thrown at you. But having your colleagues have your back to listen to you, to support you, it is just absolutely amazing. And teachers for so long have all, they know what they, do. we know what we do wrong. And I you've, you've probably heard me say this a thousand times, but we can stay awake at night knowing what we do wrong, but we don't always get told what we're doing right and and be coached to keep doing things right. And being Mm -hmm. celebrated. And that is the biggest thing with this too, is to like, you know, get rid of that public perception of what a teacher is. They're beautiful human beings. And keep those doors open. Co-teach, you know, plan together. Take those risks. So much. It's so big and it's just so beautiful. And some people have told me, oh, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, eh? And I'm like, it's not Kool-Aid, it's milk. Because (laughs) health is nourishing. (laughs) So if there's, you know, we may have teachers
1: listening to the podcast who are interested in following their voices. Maybe their school isn't um, part of this initiative. So if a school is interested in getting involved in FTV, how can they get more information?
2: Well, FTV has a website that, you know, it's following their voices, so there is a public domain that you can look at some of the information and you know the genesis of FTV, um, but also like you know reach out to schools that you know that are a following their voices school, and have some conversations with those teachers. And there is teacher teachers in the division like you uh, mentioned, Taryn. Like look at the work that she's doing in her school and. You know, because you don't have to be an FTV school to start these practices and start opening up your classrooms and, you know, and starting to open up those dialogues with your peers and using each other as support. And I'm sure this is going on, you know, but I mean, yeah, I, that's what I would suggest is to, you know, reach out to the FTV schools and talk about them. And
1: Do you know how many are in Saskatchewan right now?
2: I want to say if there's 53 and I wish, uh, yes, and I, and, but don't, like I said, anything numbers, don't quote. <laughs> there is lots, and there's also another call coming out for schools in the next two months. And so that's going to be coming out. And, you know, so there's a, you know, a process and kind of like a a meeting that, you know, administrators would go to to see if that fits for them. And and there is an onboarding process before you even become a uh, FTV school. If you want, if you really wanted to know what FTV is all about, i am going to—I'm going to plug a book here, but it's uh, Russ, Russell Bishop's uh, Teaching to the Northeast, and that is FTV, the whole kit and caboodle, and it's a beautiful book. And so basically, it's like there is four quadrants of teachers: there is a low relationship, high teaching, high teaching. low relationship and we want to be in that Northeast quadrant where it's high relationship, high teaching skills. And that's, so how do we get there? So that is what my suggestion would be. If you really want a life changing book, there's one right there. And also the uh, Goulet books teaching each other. I think that one
0: has been recommended now. You're the third person. (laughs) Well, and it's (laughs) definitely a a resource (laughs) I'll be taking a look at for sure.
2: (laughs) And it's the Cree philosophy is that we are in this together. We teach each other, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a beautiful book. I I reference it weekly. Well, thank
0: you for sharing those resources. It sounds like following their voices has had such a positive impact on the education of you guys as teachers and non-Indigenous students. And I just want to thank you for sharing your stories with us and helping fellow educators to learn about the importance of the initiative.